Hey guys, Jim Cox, FFG Advisors, Park Avenue Securities. And I'm here today with an interview with Ocean Robbins. He is an author, a food revolutionary, and has a uh, interesting background, but really does a lot in terms of promoting um, kind of what's happening on the front lines of changing the American and really the global diet. So, Ocean, thanks for taking the time to uh, chat today. I'm so glad to be with you. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background. Um, where do you come from? How did you get involved in terms of um, making these changes in terms of uh, diet? Well, uh, going back a couple generations, my grandpa founded an ice cream company called Baskin Robbins. My dad, John, grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool in the backyard and 31 flavors of ice cream in the freezer. He was groomed from early childhood to one day join in running the family company. But when he was offered that chance in his early 20s, he said no, and he walked away from a path that was mm. practically paved with gold and ice cream to, as we jokingly say in our family, follow his own rocky road. <laughs> uh, he chose to move with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada where they built a one-room log cabin, grew most of their own food, practiced yoga and meditation for several hours daily, and named their kid Ocean. Wow. That would be me. And uh, two years later, my dad ended up researching the food industry in which he had grown up and indicting it with his bestseller, Diet for New America, which inspired millions of people to look at food as a chance to take a stand for healthier lives and a healthier planet. Mm. The um, media had a lot of fun with the story. They called him the rebel without a cone. Mm. His book inspired millions of people. One of them ended up being my grandpa. Uh, Irvin Robbins, who um, had lost his beloved brother-in-law and business partner, Bert Baskin, to heart disease when my dad's uncle, Bert, was 54. Wow. And my grandpa, uh, Irvin Robbins, was practically on death's door himself when his doctors handed him a copy of my dad's book, which he read, and uh, he followed its advice. He ended up cutting way back on sugar and processed foods. He gave up most animal products. He even gave up ice cream. And uh, he ate a lot more fruits and vegetables and whole foods, and he got results. He reversed his diabetes. He reversed his heart disease. He lost a bunch of weight he needed to lose, and he felt a lot better. He added 19 more healthy years to his life. Wow, that's so incredible. That's a little bit of the background we've really seen in our family, that the standard American diet leads to the standard American diseases and eventually the standard American death. But when we eat better and live better, we can uh, turn it all around. And that's what my life's about now. So I founded Food Revolution Network uh, with my dad about eight years ago. And um, you know, we, our goal is healthy, ethical, sustainable food for all. We've grown to over half a million members uh, all over the planet. And, uh, you know, I think that we're onto something because people all over the world are completely fed up with the status quo. They're sick of being sick. They know that our toxic food culture is killing us. Mm -hmm. It's poisoning our environment. It's torturing animals. And it's time for something different. Completely agree. When they uh, started talking about health care reform, it, um, you know, my feeling was that instead of talking about health care reform, we should talk about reforming the... Uh, what we put into the bodies, and you would actually end right. up fixing a lot of those problems before, beforehand. Yep, exactly. You know, I, it's kind of ironic because we, you know, if you if you drive your car into a brick wall, the death certificate might say, you know, impalement by brick wall, 
but you know and I know that it was really caused by bad driving mm. that you died. And, you know, similarly, I think, you know, we get heart disease and we say that that was the cause of death or cancer or, you know, um, Alzheimer's. And what we don't realize is these are actually symptoms. Yeah. The way we're eating makes these causes of death, in quotes, kind of inevitable. If you don't get one, you'll get another. Um, but, you know, I'm here to say that we can do better. We have, you know, over 10,000 studies published in peer-reviewed medical journals, which tell us in no uncertain terms that we can prevent or reverse, you know, the vast majority of lifestyle-induced illness uh, and chronic illness in, in, in this country and, and globally. And what that means is that we can save trillions of dollars in medical care costs. We can pull companies and families and nations back from bankruptcy because, you know, where we're headed with you know, medical treatment now in the United States consuming 19% of GDP, it's not sustainable. You know, Alzheimer's rates are expected to triple, you know, in the next generation or two. And how are we going to afford that? How are we going to pay for that? We're sicker and fatter than ever. Almost two-thirds of us are, are overweight or obese now. And so I'm saying, you know, what the good news, in fact, the great news, is that we have solutions to all these problems. We can improve our economy. We can improve our quality of lives. We can improve our planet. And we can improve our life expectancy and health expectancy, all just by making the right food choices. I'd call that a win-win-win-win-win. And in a lot of ways, uh, from my experiences, it's a lot less expensive than, uh, obviously, going down the road of eating uh, processed and prepackaged food, let alone the, the health benefits. Well, it can be. You know, I mean, there's a bit of a misnomer that eating whole foods takes your whole paycheck. Yeah. And uh, the reality is that there are lots of uh, sort of uh, health food, in quotes, products that are marketed at the elite consumer. But... If you want to eat, you can eat really well without spending an arm and a leg and, in fact, save money. And some of the you know, tricks that I talk about, I mean, cutting out food waste is one. The average American family wastes $2,000 every year in food that literally just goes bad in the fridge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cleaning out the fridge every week so you make big soups and food, you know, use up all the leftovers yep. so you don't, they don't go to waste. And, you know, we can also, um, you know, cook more foods from scratch rather than relying on the processed pre- prepared and restaurant meals and uh, when you when you plan ahead and cooking quantity you can actually make that work even if you're running a busy life so in 31 day food revolution which is my new book I look at all this and I look at what we can gain with a healthy food revolution and I really focus on how you can implement uh, to get results there's 31 chapters in the book and every single chapter ends with action steps you can take uh, because at the end of the day, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, they don't care a heck of a lot how many podcasts you listen to, how many yeah. books you read, how much you know. They care what you do and what you eat and how you live. And so I want to help people get results, and that's really why I wrote this book. Awesome. One of the, uh, I mean, what you're describing, though, is really a kind of foundational change in the way the economy is structured, especially the food and the agriculture uh, economy. Like, how do you... How do you effect that transition to not drive the economy into a depression, so to speak? Well, um, I think that um, the wonderful thing is we can save so much 
money personally and even companies by making these shifts. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, it's been stated that, you know, General Motors is actually more of a <laughs> health provider company than a car company because so much of the budget goes to that. I mean, Starbucks spends more money on health insurance than it does um, on coffee, you know. And so by driving down these costs, we can save money and make, make companies more competitive. And quite frankly, the U.S. spends about twice as much per capita on medical treatment as any other country in the world. So if we can drive down some of these costs, we can make our, our international competition more competitive, which is good for the trade deficit and uh, good for the economy in the U.S. And, you know, as far as any concern about, you know, what will happen to the, you know, the the um, prevailing economic systems, if we take our money out of them, well, the good news is it's gonna go somewhere better. I, the way I look at it, food 1.0, it's about survival. If you can get enough calories to fill your belly, then that's success. And food 2.0, the essential organizing principle of food is commerce, it's the buying and selling of goods. And you know we have um, gotten very good at that with tastes and textures and cuisines from all over the world with you know 31 flavors of ice cream. Um, but unfortunately, food 2.0 is morally bankrupt. Yeah. That's why I'm saying we need to go to food 3.0, where the central organizing principle of our food system is health. Health for our bodies and health for our planet. And there, there are plenty of healthy profits in food 3.0. They just come from healthy food. I uh, completely agree. You know, one, one of the things that's really been impressive over the past year is the development and the just skyrocketing popularity of plant-based meats and a lot of plant-based food uh, products that are really kind of storming the market and displacing um, kind of the standard fare. Yeah, exactly. It's it's true. Um, And that, that is very exciting. I mean, there are so many options. When I was a kid, you know, health food eaters were kind of hippies who had to you know, health food stores were tiny little places where you could pay, you know, four bucks a pound for a little bit of organic this or that. And they had, you know, whole wheat bread that, you know, you were lucky if it wasn't moldy and, you know, it was pretty old. You know, things things have changed a lot. Uh, now health food consumers have so many options. And, you know, the bad news is that health food stores aren't what they used to be because they don't have the screens they used to. I mean, when I was a kid, Health food stores wouldn't serve sometimes, you know, any product, sell any product that had white flour or sugar in it. And you sure wouldn't find that now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, at, at my local Whole Foods market, uh, they don't have a single bread that they make in their own bakery that is whole wheat or whole grain, which is kind of ironic for Whole Foods. But that's the reality. So you do have to pick and choose. But there are a lot of options. I mean, when I was a kid, you couldn't even find soy milk in a safe way. And now you, you, you can find soy, almond, oat, you know, um, hemp milk. I'll, you know, I, I don't even know what the latest rice, everything, you know, it's yeah. all there. So I think that the, the options are exploding. And the good news is that we have a lot more opportunity. It's a lot easier to, to make um, alternative and healthier choices. Yeah, I saw, a, uh, I think it was on Bloomberg uh, today, I saw a headline that uh, the dairy industry lost over a billion dollars in, uh, decreased a billion dollars in sales last year, obviously from the development of these alternatives. That's right. Yep, exactly. What's your take on the um, kind of the development of the, uh, the clean meat space? In other words, meat grown um, from 
stem cells of animals without the need for, you know, uh, concentrated uh, agricultural farm farming operations? Well, I am, you know, always interested in technology. In theory, uh, cultured meat could, you know, eliminate, in theory, the environmental problems that come from, you know, factory farmed meat. Because in theory, depending on what it's growing, what medium it's growing on, it could be more sustainable. It, right now, it takes 12 pounds of grain to produce one pound of beef, beef and you know, 80-something percent of the world's agricultural land is being used for livestock production. So we could theoretically save a lot of resources if it was more efficient. Um, and theoretically, there's no animal death involved, and therefore it's more ethically uh, uh, viable. And health-wise, it's kind of probably going to be the same, which is not so great. Um, but if people are going to eat meat, I suppose cultured meat presents a potential option. However, um, the kind of dirty truth is that so far, um, it's the, the cultured meat uh, system is not vegan in the slightest. Um, they're actually needing uh, calf fetuses. I kid you not. Uh, fetal cow blood is being used to grow um, the cultured meat. And so far, they, they're, they're trying, the, the researchers, to cre create lab-grown beef burgers that are not dependent on that. But right now, literally, um, dairy cows, you know, they're, they're taking their, their calves' um, blood and using it as the growth medium, so, or a central part of it. And they haven't figured out how to get past that yet. So that's kind of a long way, problem. Yeah, a long way to and go. It takes about 200 calf fetuses to make a burger right now. No, so they're far from sustainable or efficient right now. Now, that doesn't mean they won't get there, but right now there's a major problem. I'm not going to be eating it anytime soon. Clearly. What, um, in terms of, I haven't read your book yet, but I look forward to doing so, but what's your take on GMOs in, in the food chain? It seems like they're, it's pretty, you know, widespread in terms of the application in terms of different products. So how do you, how do people avoid um, consuming GMOs in kind of the current um, feed system or the food system that we have? Well, first let's clarify what's a GMO. Some people think it means God move over, but it doesn't. It means genetically modified organism. And uh, GMOs, you know, have been produced with a promise from, you know, the, the biotechnology industry that they would produce bigger yields, more drought-resistant crops, lower pesticide consumption, um, better flavor, and better nutrition. Uh, so far, we're about 25 years into the mass production of GMOs in the marketplace, and we haven't seen any of those benefits. Studies tell us that they haven't got us better yields, they haven't got us better drought resistance, they've led to a net increase of more than 400 million pounds of additional pesticides uh, on our cropland, and they haven't brought us any improvements in flavor or in nutrition. What they have brought us in 98% of the cases is one or both of two traits. One is that they are pesticide producers. They literally produce the insecticide BT in every cell of the plant. And um, you can't wash this stuff off. And certain bugs, when they take a bite, their stomachs split open and they die. Now, that may be perfectly nice for a, you know, a farmer who doesn't have to spray as much, but now the plants are literally registered with the EPA as pesticides, the plants are. I'm not kidding. Um, and then uh, you've got uh, 
plants that are herbicide tolerant, so they can be sprayed with glyphosate, which is the primary active ingredient in Roundup. Yeah. The biggest pesticide on the planet, and it will, um, you know, kill weeds, but not the plant. So now we have plants that are like sponges. They, historically, you wouldn't be spraying your crops with glyphosate because it would kill them, but it doesn't kill these ones. So they are sprayed with it. So now we're eating glyphosate. What's the impact of that? Well, the World Health Organization has determined that it's a probable carcinogen. We know that it's an endocrine disruptor. It's been patented as an antibiotic, so it kills bacteria. And um, now we have lawsuits. 9,000 lawsuits are in the courts right now from people who have died and are blaming glyphosate. Two of them have recently been decided by jury, and in each case, Monsanto, now owned by Bayer, has been found liable for about $80 million. So, um, you know, this company has been lying to us. They've been telling us that it's safe. The juries aren't just blaming them for the deaths of these people. They're blaming them for the lies, and therefore people didn't take precautions. They, they sprayed without protection. And, um, and what does this do to the consumer when we're eating this stuff day in and day out? Well, we don't exactly know, but if you're like me and you want to avoid glyphosate, then the number one thing you can do is to go organic because organically grown food is all glyphosate free. You can also avoid GMO crops because of course a lot of them are sprayed with glyphosate. And um, the top GMO crops are gonna be corn, soy, canola, um, cotton seed, so cotton seed oil, and um, alfalfa and sugar beets. Most of us don't eat much alfalfa, but if you're eating those other crops, you want to make sure they're certified non-GMO or organically grown if you want to be glyphosate-free. The other thing we have to watch out for with glyphosate now is that it's starting to be used as a desiccant on certain cereal crops before harvest to dry them out, particularly legumes and certain grains like oats and wheat. Mm. So uh, we have a new element in the picture, which is even if they're not genetically engineered, they may have been glyphosate contaminated. So that means going organic with your cereal crops just got a lot more important as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so many levels in terms of trying to manage the... uh the diet, what are some of the, besides going organic, like are there any uh, guidelines that somebody should follow in terms of shifting direction to to affect change? Well, if you want to be a part of the solution, then obviously, you know, I'm an advocate for eating lower on the food chain so that you're not participating in the tremendous environmental waste that comes with uh, livestock production. I mean, there's no getting around it. Anytime you go higher on the food chain, you lose efficiency. It takes yeah. 12 pounds of grain or soy to produce one pound of feedlot beef. It produce, takes about four to produce a pound of chicken. You know, four is better than 12, but it's not as good as one, you know. Um, and there's just absolutely no way that we can feed calories to livestock and expect to get more net input on the other end. Um, and if we're not feeding them grain and soy, if we're feeding them grass, for example, then it takes a lot of pasture land yeah. to produce beef. And so that land's got to be coming from somewhere, and in a lot of cases, we're chopping down forests for it. So um, from an environmental standpoint, if you're concerned about climate change, about feeding the world, about water for future generations, then eating lower on the food chain is one of the most powerful steps you can take. If you want to contribute to a healthier economy and a healthier world and eating more vegetables and uh, more whole foods and encouraging government policy 
uh, and corporate policy that will support those kinds of directions is critical. Uh, so, you know, one of the things I focus on in 31 Day Food Revolution is looking at how you can actually be a food revolutionary, how you can be a part of the change in the world, how you can help create healthier school lunches, how you can help get community gardens growing, how you can contribute to social justice so that food doesn't have to be, healthy food doesn't have to be an elitist luxury. Right now, uh, we have what we call food deserts low-income communities where it's actually easier to get crack cocaine than it is to get organic broccoli. And so we're trying to say, let's change that. So one of the things we could do is is double the value of food stamp or SNAP dollars for fruits and vegetables mm. instead of, um, you know, just one-to-one, make them worth twice as much. And there, this has been piloted. Uh, about 500,000 people are getting this right now through a program called Wholesome Wave. It's privately funded in, in partnership with the U.S. government. And uh, when people get double value for fruits and vegetables, guess what? They buy more fruits and vegetables, they eat more fruits and vegetables, and they get healthier. Wow. That's and, uh, uh, that's you know, impressive. That's incredible. That's a great yeah, idea. absolutely. So there's a lot of solutions out there if we get serious about it. And we can stop subsidizing junk food, too, right now. Twinkies has 14 subsidized ingredients, courtesy of the U.S. taxpayer. Um, high fructose corn syrup, Wonder Bread, these are subsidized. But guess what? Nuts and seeds, fruits and vegetables, they're not. So we've created an unlevel playing field. It's like you're being fined for wearing your seatbelt if you want to do the right thing for your health. So we could turn all that around so easily if we just change our policies and um, make it easier for everybody to take care of themselves. Yeah, everybody thinks or we're, we're told to believe in this uh, kind of myth that uh, the capitalist is capitalist system is um, a fair playing field, but the reality is that um, obviously the actors with more dollars in terms of um, campaign financing um, really end up creating the policy and, you know, small farmers are left really without any sort of say in what goes on. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And I love farmers. Let me just say, I, the people who grow our food, we are so indebted to them. And anybody who's ever grown a garden knows it takes some serious work. Yeah. And it can be fun, you know, but people who do it all day long, day in and day out, I mean, that's a lot of work. And a lot of them have very thin margins, and they're dependent on seasons and consumer demand, and uh, they're kind of at risk and kind of vulnerable. So I want us to take care of our farmers and treat them well and you know, pay them well, honestly, and, I, and the farm workers as well. You know, um, right now in the state of California where I live, life expectancy by one estimate for farm workers was stated to be 49 years. Uh, cancer rates in the farm worker community are epidemic. Why? Uh, partly because they are spraying pesticides in the fields all day long. Yeah. If you've ever heard of the canary in the coal mine, you know, we know that, that uh, you know, coal miners will bring canaries in there, and if, if the canaries die, that's the first indication that there's a toxic gas buildup. Well, it doesn't take a coal miner to know that if, if something's killing our farm workers with cancer, it's probably not good for us, the consumers, to be eating either. Exactly. So I'm really saying, you know, let's take a look at the impact of our food choices and realize that what's good for you is also good for your, your planet and even your economy. And I think that's really heartening and inspiring news because in, in a lot of situations in life, you've got to make trade-offs. But when it comes to food, you can kind of you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. Not not that cake, but you know the healthy cake, because <laughs> because uh, 
know, we can we can say yes to a healthier planet and healthier bodies, and frankly, even more pleasure. And that's the fascinating thing. A lot of people are afraid that if they give up, you know, all the foods they're used to, they're going to have less pleasure in their lives. And uh, if there's no question, junk food can taste good. Um, no argument there. Thirty-one flavors of ice cream didn't didn't become a billion-dollar company because it didn't taste good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm saying that in the long run, 31 steps to health will bring you more pleasure, more satisfaction, more joy, even than 31 flavors of ice cream because, you know something, there's not a lot of pleasure in forgetting the names of your loved ones because you've got dementia. There's not a lot of pleasure in going through chemotherapy. There's, there's not a lot of pleasure in feeling like crap and not being able to sleep well and not having a good sex life because you don't have good circulation in your body. And in the long run, uh, when you step into greater health, you're going to have so much more pleasure in your life. I completely agree. It's um, and not only that, it it ends up being a really a matter of financial security too. I mean, are you going to basically twiddle away whatever you're able to save in retirement based on health costs, or you know, are you going to live a life of quality, you know, in your golden years and you know, it's a matter of choice. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat today. Um, where's your book? Uh, where can your book be found? Um, it can be found anywhere good books are sold. So you can go to 31dayfoodrevolution.com and grab a copy. That's 31 the number 31dayfoodrevolution.com and grab a copy from us. Or you can go to, you know, anywhere. Your local bookstore is the best because we really want to support the local independents, but you can get it online as well, easily and conveniently. Um, and I really wrote this book to put the power in your hands where it belongs to create, create positive change in your life and your world. So please take advantage of it. Use it. Share it with your friends and loved ones. And uh, most importantly, let's put this into action. Let's do this. Let's live this food revolution because, you know, we know where the status quo leads us. It leads us to more sickness and suffering and, quite frankly, uh, a, a pretty dark future for our planet. Um, with a growing human population, we simply can't afford to feed 11 billion humans the way we're producing food right now. But if we move towards more sustainable, lower on the food chain systems, we can. And um, that's worth a lot. Well, the other thing is we have to. We also have to work in uh, the unpredictability of the uh, climate change. You look at what happened in Nebraska and yeah. the, the uh, yeah. central uh, United States, and you know, it's there's going to be some massive losses in terms of crops, and obviously that's yeah. going to have an impact in the next over the next year. So. Oh, it is, and uh, you know, um, the truth is that um, um, organically grown foods are growing in soil that's more resilient and more drought resistant and more flood resistant mm. and um, in the long run that's a pretty good thing too so um, you know we, we can we have solutions to all of our problems what we don't have right now is the political will to put them into action but that doesn't stop you and me from being the change we want to see in the world and, and getting real results from it so uh, you know thanks so much for spreading the word and thanks for having me on and for everybody listening thank you for your time and your attention and your partnership in this food revolution. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ocean. Thanks a lot. Thank you.